glad to have each one of you here this morning for our Sunday morning worship period. And if you're a visitor today, we are happy and honored always to have visitors. And come back anytime, you can be here with us and worship with us at McCoynesville. Story is told about an older preacher who told his congregation that he was feeling somewhat lonely and depressed. So one of the church members suggested to the preacher that he ought to buy a pet. So the preacher thought about it and he decided that was a, a great idea. So the next day he went to a pet store and after a lot of looking and thought and deliberation, he bought a parrot. Unfortunately, not five minutes after returning home, the parrot started cursing and using profanity toward the preacher. So after about an hour of that, the preacher slapped the parrot on the beak and he said, stop it. But that just made the parrot madder. And he began cursing and swearing at the preacher in even more profane language. So the preacher covered up his cage with a blanket. But that didn't shut up the parrot. So finally the preacher had had all he could take. And he grabbed the parrot and he opened the freezer door and he put him in the freezer and shut the door. So after a few minutes, the parrot got very quiet. And the preacher became concerned for the well-being of the parrot. So the preacher opened the freezer door and the parrot walked out of the freezer flapping the ice off his wings and he began apologizing to the preacher. The parrot said, I am very sorry about the trouble I've caused you. In the future I'll do my best to improve my vocabulary. Well, the preacher was just amazed at the sudden change that had come over the parrot. And then the parrot said, may I ask you a question? And the preacher said, sure. The parrot said, what in the world did the frozen chicken in the freezer do to you? Now, I have my doubts about the accuracy of that little story, but here's the point. Have you ever wished that you could deal with somebody's foul mouth the way the preacher dealt with the parrot? Today, we're finishing up a series of sermons called Taming the Tongue. 
You know, the Bible tells us that our words have the power of life and death, as we find in Proverbs 18.21. God's desire for all of us is to learn how to control our tongues so that our words can bring life. In this series that we started back in July, we studied the introduction to this series called Words That Build Up, Not Tear Down. And then after that introduction, we studied about the corrosive talk of complaining and criticizing and the damage that it can cause to us and to others and how we can stop complaining and criticizing in our lives. And then we studied the truth about lying and the importance of living and and speaking the truth. We studied a lesson about the malicious talk of gossip, rumors, and slander and the serious harm that can be done to the lives of others if we're guilty of that sin. Then last month we studied the ego talk of boasting, bragging, and flattery, which a lot of people today, maybe even in the church, might not consider to be sinful. But in that sermon, we we studied and we examined what the Bible plainly says about those forms of ego talk. We read and discussed not one, not two, but I went back and counted. We studied 25 different Bible passages that relate to or condemn boasting, bragging, and flattery. Those are indeed sins of the tongue that God hates. The Lord willing, the Lord willing on the first Sunday in January, I plan, my plans right now are to begin a new series of sermons that will deal with, there it is on the screen, the number one problem in the Bible. And between now and then, you might be thinking about and maybe doing some study on what that number one problem might be. And I'll tell you this, doing a Google search for the right answer online may not give you the right answer. So today... In this last sermon in the series on Taming the Tongue, we're going to study the topic of gutter talk and the sin of using foul language in our speech. And that includes cursing, profanity, obscenity, and euphemisms. Some of you who are old enough, that's the key, old enough, 
may remember the Watergate scandal from the early 1970s. Watergate scandal happened during the second term of President Richard Nixon, and it led to him resigning as president in August of 1974. That scandal came from the Nixon administration's attempts to cover up its involvement in a break-in at the headquarters of the opposing party in the Watergate building that you see there on the screen in Washington, D.C. The United States Senate appointed a special committee to investigate what happened. And that committee held live televised hearings on the scandal and the crimes that might have been committed that would warrant the president's impeachment. During the hearings, one of the president's assistants, he was a man named Alexander Butterfield, revealed that there was a secret taping system in the White House. And all of the president's phone conversations had been taped, recorded. So the Watergate Committee, the Senate Committee, wanted to hear certain of the tapes. But President Nixon refused to release the tapes to the committee. But he did release edited, written transcripts of those tape conversations, printed out. And those official transcripts were often interrupted by the phrase, expletive deleted. And the profanity was left out in the transcripts. And so the term, expletive deleted, became a common term in that time for foul language. You know, some people use foul language privately when they're angry or disgusted about something. Some people use it for emphasis. And for other people, it's just a habit and a bad habit. And sadly, that can even be true of some professing Christians, members of the church. And just as sad is the fact that, that foul language, foul language has become more and more acceptable and more commonplace today. And it's not just in private, but also in public in the mass media. You probably already know this, but finding a TV show or a movie or a novel that does not use foul language and expletives is nearly impossible. Even if it's so-called family entertainment, And thanks to social media today, 
We have short versions and abbreviations of foul language and expletives. So people can use them without having to go to all the trouble of typing them out. Sadly, there are school textbooks. School materials and library books today that use that kind of language. School reading assignments sometimes can be filled with it. And if you think that's not happening around us, right here in our own state, here's a little news item from Williamson County dated November the 18th, last month. During a meeting of the Williamson County Board of Education on November the 15th, there were several parents present who wanted to make the public aware of the filthy language and the graphic material found in some of the books in the local middle and high school libraries. There was one parent that tried to read aloud from the text of one library book and the school board cut off her microphone because they said the meeting was being live streamed and what she was reading was so filthy and graphic that it might violate LCC rules. Now there are people who will defend that kind of foul language in textbooks and library books on the grounds of academic freedom. But even if it is legal, that does not make it morally acceptable in the sight of God. You see, God's Word establishes absolute parameters and limits for our speech. And that's really what this whole series of six sermons has been all about. As we already said, there are four kinds of expletives that we're going to study today in this sermon that we ought to be very serious about deleting from our speech. And they are cursing, profanity, obscenity, and euphemisms. Now we could lump all those sins of the tongue into one big category called foul language. But each one of those is actually different in some ways than the others. So this morning, we're going to spend our time thinking about and defining each one of these individually so that we can make sure they are not coming out of our mouths. And let's begin with cursing. The dictionary defines cursing as a curse, an appeal for evil or injury to befall someone to invoke evil, calamity, or injury upon someone. 
So a person is cursing anytime they say that they would wish harm to come to somebody else. It could be something like, I wish he'd drop dead or get hit by a car. Many people, many people use the word and the concept of the D word on the screen. To curse people and things by bringing condemnation upon them. Many people today, sadly, will say to others, you can go to blank, the place of eternal punishment. So a person is cursing when they use words and terms like these or, or similar language that states the desire for people to receive harm. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about cursing? In Luke chapter 6, 27 and 28, Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. In the text that Caleb read, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul in that chapter wrote, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In that same text that he read in verse 17, Paul says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. In the same text in verse 19, Paul says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Cursing is a violation of the command to love because it wishes harm on others. We should not even curse our enemies. And so that means that we should not curse anyone ever at all. Instead, as we read, we ought to bless, which means to wish for good to come to others. Now, as we try as we try as Christians to warn evildoers about what God and the Bible teach about their future punishment, we may properly use Bible words and Bible terms that describe the punishment that God will bring on the wicked. Well, let's remember, let's remember that God himself will curse the wicked in the proper time and manner according to his justice and his wisdom. And that's God's job, not ours.
All right, secondly, let's think about and define the term profanity. The dictionary defines the word profane as showing contempt or irreverence toward God or sacred things. Profanity involves referring to anything holy in a way that mocks or ridicules it or fails to show proper respect or reverence for it. Some people today profane terms that refer to deity, such as God, Jesus, Christ, Jehovah, and Lord. And they do that by using those terms, those words, as expressions of anger or disgust or in a light, careless, joking, flippant kind of way. Likewise, others profane sacred things such as hell, the destination of the wicked, or heaven, the dwelling place of God. Another way that people today speak profanity is the practice of referring disrespectfully to acts of worship, such as prayer, or the words of spiritual songs, and even various Bible phrases, such as the term hallelujah, which literally means praise Jehovah. So what does the Bible say about profanity? In Ezekiel 22:26, we can see there that the priests of Israel in that passage were guilty of profaning God's holy things when they made no distinction, they made no distinction between what was holy and what was common. That passage in Ezekiel refers especially to profaning God's word and God's worship. So to treat things as though they are common is to profane them, to treat holy things in that way. One of the Ten Commandments addresses the sin of profanity. Nexus 20, verse 7, God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, the original Hebrew word for in vain means something that is empty, meaningless, without substance, and without proper respect. And to refer to God's name in that way would be profanity. God's name is special. It's a revelation of God himself to us. 
And by it, he is inviting us to have a, have a close, intimate relationship with him. In Exodus 20, verse 5, the personal name for God used there in the third commandment is the Lord your God. That's sometimes referred to as Yahweh or I am. God's most fundamental characteristic is that he is. He has always been and he always will be. And that speaks to us about his eternal nature, his sovereignty, his faithfulness, and how God does not change. You know, the Bible often speaks about how wonderful and, and, and holy and sacred the name of God is. Look at a few of these verses. Psalms 111, verse 9. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Look at it. Holy and awesome is his name. Psalms 8, verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Book of Nehemiah. 9 verse 5 says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Acts 4 verse 12 says, referring to the name of Christ, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says, Therefore God also has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. Now those are just a few of, of many other passages that make it clear that the names of God and Christ are special and must be treated with respect. So let's look at some sinful uses of these names. Because God's name is so important, Satan tries to find ways to pervert our use of it. In Isaiah 52, verse 5, there is a, a sad, heartbreaking verse where God is mourning the plight of his people and he's listing all the evils of that day. And God says in that verse, my name is blasphemed continually every day. Now I want you to think about 
how many times, how many times in our world every day today the holy God hears his name blasphemed and profaned? How many times? Here are just a few of the ways that people in the world and sadly sometimes in the church misuse and profane the name of God. First of all, God's name should not be used as an exclamation point. Many people today often use the names of the Godhead to express their reactions to all kinds of emotions and feelings. Here are just a few examples. <clears throat> Person today hears some shocking news and they react by saying, Oh my God. That's become a very, very common expression today for many people. Or somebody sees a, a, a rather gruesome, terrible scene of some kind and they whisper, Jesus. When a person uses those terms, those expressions, they are using the holy name of God or Christ as just another way of saying, I can't believe that. You're kidding. Or that's just terrible. Folks, to use the names of God and Christ in that way is profanity. The names of God or Christ should not be used as an exclamation point. Secondly, God's name should not be used as a cliche or an expression that is overused and spoken without thought. And you know many Christian people, many Christians are guilty of this kind of misuse because it's an easy way to sound spiritual and righteous. For example, some people today, we hear this fairly often, some people will say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And they say that so much and so often that they don't even think about and realize what they're saying. It's just a habit. Many people will say, God bless you without even really thinking seriously about what those words mean. Do you see the problem? God's name should only be used or associated with things of substance and genuineness. God's name is not a cliche. And we should not use it unless we deeply mean what we say. 
Thirdly, God's name should not be used as an endorsement. You know, our world today believes that association with rich, powerful, popular people lends credibility to what that person says or does. That's why, that's why professional athletes are paid millions and millions of dollars to tell us which soft drinks are cool or which brand of athletic shoes we ought to buy. And sadly, people sometimes, people sometimes link their names with God or Christ for their own personal gain. I believe, I believe that I'm correct in saying that God does not want his name marketed for people's selfish purposes. If you own a business and you're a Christian, then be a Christian businessman or businesswoman and behave like it and act like it in your business dealings. But you don't have to name your business the Praise the Lord Coffee Shop or the God is Good Hardware Store. And then fourth, God's name should not be used as a false or a trivial oath. Leviticus 19 verse 12 says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. And we can see in that passage that God does not want us to use his name in a vain oath. Now it's proper and it's acceptable to use the divine name of God in taking certain oaths, especially those of a judicial nature, as in a court of law. But it is wrong to invoke the name of God to certify some trivial matter. And we hear that a lot today. Somebody says, I'll be at your house for dinner tonight at 6 p.m. So help me God. Or somebody says, I promise you, I didn't eat that last cookie. God is my witness. Now there are times in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul calls upon God to witness some statement of his as being true. But that was not a trivial matter. One example of that can be found in Galatians 1 verse 20 where Paul says, now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. It's not wrong to use the name of God for the purpose of taking an oath that is legitimate 
and solemn and proper. But it is wrong to use the name of God in trivial things. We should not be taking the holy names of God or Christ or other sacred things and using them as nothing more than common expressions of anger or disgust or surprise or as an oath. And to do that is profanity. Instead, we should honor and revere God's name with our speech. A third kind of foul language that we ought to delete from our speech is obscenity. Expressions of immoral and, and sensual speech are just not compatible with Christian living. The word obscene is defined as offensive to modesty or decency. Indecent, lewd, causing or intended to cause sexual excitement or lust. You know, too often in our world today, jokes and humor contain sexual suggestions or double meanings. Some expressions of disgust or anger indecently refer to reproductive acts or to the private parts of the body involved in those acts. And probably the worst and the most commonly used obscenity today is sometimes called the F word. And it's hard to avoid. It's used on TV, in movies, in music, in school, and in the workplace. So what does the Bible say about obscenity? Colossians 3 verse 8 says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul addresses this subject. Verses 3 through 12. He says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words because of these things that because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So I want us to take a closer look right here at six points, six points that Paul makes in that passage. Number one, Paul says that for God's people, for God's people there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Number two, for God's people, there must not be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting or joking. Number three, no immoral or impure person has any inheritance with God's kingdom. Number four, God's wrath will come on those who are involved in this kind of sinfulness. Number five, we should not be, Paul says, partakers with them, nor mention what they do in secret. And why is that? Number six, because Paul says that we were once darkness, but now we are light. And we must live as children of light. So if we are trying to stay away from obscenity in our speech, what should we strive to avoid? Well, we ought to strive to avoid words, jokes, expressions that are sexually suggestive. We should never make jokes or use vulgar expressions in reference to things that ought to be kept private. And not only are we wrong if we use that kind of language, but we're also wrong if we take pleasure in those who do so. And that would include laughing at, or enjoy and being entertained by people who use that kind of language. The fourth kind of expletives that we ought to delete from our speech is euphemisms. Now some of you right now might be thinking, what in the world is a euphemism? Well, the definition of a euphemism is the substitution of a mild, indirect, or vague expression for one thought to be offensive, harsh, or blunt. A great, great many people today will sometimes use modified forms of a word in place of a curse or profanity or obscenity. 
And that substitute word often means the same thing and is used in the same way and maybe sounds similar and is obviously just a modified form of the objectionable word. Now here are just a few examples. And there are many, many others that I have not listed. The euphemisms dang or darn are often used as a substitute for the D word on the screen. The words gosh or golly are euphemistic alterations of the name of God. The expression doggone it actually originated as a euphemism for what you see on the screen. The commonly used word G is a substitute for the name Jesus. The expression Jeepers Creepers actually originated back in the 1920s as a euphemism for Jesus Christ. The commonly used word heck is a substitute for hell. And of course, the initials OMG is an abbreviation for Oh My God. Now, not all expressions of surprise or anger are wrong, and not all euphemisms are wrong. Not all euphemisms are substitutes for foul language. You know, we sometimes substitute words that mean the same thing as perfectly acceptable words. For example, we may say that somebody passed on or passed away in place of saying that the person died. If it's not wrong to say that he or she died, why would it be wrong to say that he passed on or passed away? But if the substitute word means the same thing as a bad word and is used in the same way and even sounds similar and is obviously just an alteration of the bad word, then how can it be right or okay to use the substitute in place of the bad improper word? All the Bible principles <clears throat> that condemn the improper word likewise condemn the substitute word. Now, somebody might say, some of you might be thinking right now, 
But that's not what I mean when I say those words. That's not what I mean. And yes, some people may not think about the meaning and they may say those words without realizing what they actually mean. But here's the really important question. What about our influence on people who do know what they mean? You know, we as Christians should always think about the way that our speech and our conduct affects others, especially young people, new converts, so that we don't lead them astray and cause them to stumble and sin. A great many people today do know the meaning of those words. And many of them sound so much like their original meaning that it's easy to recognize them with just a little bit of thought. Euphemisms for improper, cursing, profane, or obscene words should not be present in our speech. As we've already said several times in this series, we must always keep in mind that our words have the power of life and death. We should want to be the best examples of godliness that we can be. We should want our lights to shine brightly because, as Paul says, we are children of light. And expletives like cursing, profanity, obscenity, and euphemisms characterize those in darkness. And we also need to remember that God is very concerned about the words that we use in our speech. In Matthew chapter 12, that we mentioned before in this series, Jesus said that we will beat our words again at the judgment. And that ought to be a, a fearful, sobering thought for all of us. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We all should make a commitment, if we haven't done it already, to keep foul language out of our speech. And that means all cursing, profanity, obscenity, and improper euphemisms. 
The goal for all of us ought to be to clean up our language, to delete all expletives and foul language, to speak life and honor God with our lips. Here is a true story from history that we're going to close with today. Some of you, especially the ladies here, may be familiar with Wedgwood Pottery, which is one of the oldest brands of pottery and ceramics in the world. Wedgwood Company was started in England way back in 1759 by a potter named Josiah Wedgwood. True story is told about a rich man who wanted to see how Josiah Wedgwood made his famous pottery. And there was a young apprentice who was told to give the rich man a tour of the Wedgwood Pottery Factory. So as they walked through the factory, the rich man, the visitor, began to use foul language and mock the Bible, make light of sacred things. At first, that young apprentice was shocked to hear that kind of language being spoken. But after a while, as he heard more and more of it, he began to laugh at the man's remarks. Josiah Wedgwood had joined them on the tour, and he was greatly upset by what he saw that was happening to his apprentice. At the end of the tour, the rich man asked if he could buy a particular vase, a beautiful vase that he liked. Wedgwood told him that it had taken many, many hours to produce its shape and design and color. So as he handed that beautiful vase to the rich man, to examine, he deliberately let it fall to the floor and break into pieces. The rich man cursed angrily and he said, that's the one I really wanted and now it's broken because of your carelessness. Wedgwood said, Sir, there are things more important than any vase. I can make another vase, but you can never give back to my helper the innocent heart that you've degraded by your profanity. Let's remember the effect that our words can have on others, including the foul language that we've talked about today. 
God wants us to tame our tongues and put away words of complaining, <clears throat> criticizing, lying, gossip, rumor, <clears throat> slander, boasting, bragging, flattery, cursing, profanity, obscenity, and euphemisms. And maybe the lessons in this series have been a step in that direction. So today, if you're not a Christian, a member of God's family, the church, Christ invites you to respond to his invitation by believing <clears throat> that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, by turning away from your sins in repentance, by confessing the name of Christ and making him the Lord of your life, by being immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins, and then by living a new and a faithful life in Christ. If you need to respond to the invitation of Christ today in any way, to confess sin in a public way or to ask for the prayers of the church or to obey the gospel, we invite you to come today. As together we stand and sing.